Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. There are cases in true crime that spark a lot of wild theories. Cases that become so sensationalized that they get overanalyzed and picked apart to pieces. And often, these theories overshadow the mundane facts of the case. I think a great example of this is the case of Elisa Lamb. For those who may not be familiar, in 2013, 21-year-old Elisa Lamb lost her life in the water tank of the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles, California. After surveillance video of Elisa acting odd in an elevator was made public, theories about what might have happened to her spread like wildfire. The crazier theories ranged from her seeing a ghost to her playing the infamous elevator game that took her to another dimension before tragically transporting her to the water tank where she couldn't escape, to the ghost of serial killer Richard Ramirez killing her. The truth of what happened to Elisa Lamb and many other cases with wild theories is often much more mundane. As far as I could find, Elisa's parents are content with the answers they got about their daughter's death that it was likely Elisa wasn't taking her medication as prescribed, and she suffered some type of mental break that led her to climbing into the water tank, unable to get back out. It's tragic and horrific even without any wild theory. But for some, the most reasonable explanation, the explanation her family, who by all accounts loved her very much, accepted, just wasn't enough for many true crime consumers. To be totally honest, I was one of those consumers. I was enthralled by the case of Elisa Lamb. My mind also went wild with all of those popular theories. I honestly couldn't get enough information about the case. But the issue is, the focus wasn't entirely on Elisa as a person. Few people, myself included, stopped to ask if maybe there was a deeper issue. That maybe this is behavior Elisa had exhibited in the past. The focus was that video. It wasn't until years later, when I really got into the true crime space, that I realized that like so many of these cases, Elisa got lost in her own story. The truth is, what we saw in that elevator footage wasn't a one-time occurrence. According to her family, Elisa had a similar episode when she was off of her medication in the past. But that didn't seem to matter. The theories became larger than her and many are still hesitant to accept the most logical explanation for what happened to her. Now, I can't help Elisa. Her case is closed and her family is content with the answers they've been given. I won't argue with that. But I feel like I can help a case that has become sensationalized in a similar way. The case of Lars Matank. Lars has been called the most famous missing person on YouTube. But when I dug in for facts on his case... They were difficult to find. The articles that came up in an easy Google search were full of conflicting information. And they mostly focus on that now infamous video of him running through the airport in Varna, Bulgaria. 
So I dug deeper. The day Lars went missing, he was terrified and spoke with his mother several times. So I looked for interviews, for information from her, from the private investigator she hired, and from the friends Lars was on vacation with. Because this is a case where much of the source material is in other languages, I basically spent a lot of time on Google Translate. But then, I found a YouTube video from a German creator named Insolito. In 2020, Insolito released his over-hour-long documentary about Lars. He spoke with Lars's mother Sandra, the private investigator, and got his hands on some related documents. As of recording this episode, his video in German has over 1.6 million views. But that same video translated into English only has 65,000 views. This really kind of blew my mind. When you search Lars Matank on YouTube, you find a ton of very short, very popular videos in English with upwards of 4 million views. These videos do mostly focus on that infamous video, and they are usually riddled with misinformation. It was the same misinformation I saw across most popular American media sources. These things happen. I mean, although I try to conduct the best research I can for these cases, I'm sure I get things wrong all the time. What really got me was the lack of interest in this extremely informative video that was gathering information directly from the sources. It's not as if this video has been buried by the YouTube algorithm. When you search Lars Matank, it comes right up. So it became pretty clear to me that people would rather watch the short, sensational videos of the quote, crazy man running out of the airport, rather than dig deeper for the facts. Just like people were more fascinated with Elisa Lamb and what she was doing in that elevator footage than her mental state. Or maybe creators are just hesitant to give credit to Insolito's extremely thorough research on this case. Because I have to say, this episode would not have been possible without him. I would not in good faith be able to tell you Lars's story without Insolito clarifying the timeline and so many other crucial facts about this case. His video will be linked in the episode description, and I highly recommend you watch it for yourself. The bottom line is, I want to cut through the misinformation and the theatrics of this case and bring you the facts. Because Lars is still missing, and in my opinion, focusing on the facts is what's going to help bring him home. This is the case of Lars Matank. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by June's Journey. I'm pretty sure everyone here loves a good mystery especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. You get to step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. So what does that mean? Well, June's journey is a hidden object mystery game. Essentially, you find hidden clues and uncover this mystery. But it's also more than that. You can customize your own luxurious estate island, you can join a detective club, and put your skills to the test in a detective league. I like that you can play totally alone, or if you want to play with other people, you can do that too. I find myself playing June's Journey in little breaks during the day, or most frequently at night before I go to bed. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, I really do recommend June's Journey. 
Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Now, I know my introduction slash rant was much longer than my normal intros, but before I dig in, I do want to say that I have never had the pleasure of traveling anywhere outside the United States, let alone to Germany or Bulgaria where much of my information comes from. I was at the mercy of Google Translate and others who have translated this case into English. If I get names, phrases, or information wrong, please educate me. I'd love to learn how to better cover international cases like this. So please be kind and educate me. I promise I'm trying my best. Lars Joachim Matank was born on February 9, 1986. He grew up in Marna, Germany on the North Sea. Lars has been described as your typical young man. He did well in school, he was well-liked by his peers, and he loved football. Specifically, his local team, Werder Bremen. After high school, Lars trained to be a power plant operator, and moved about 150 kilometers or 93 miles away from his parents to the city of Wilhelmshaven to work at a power plant in the area. Unfortunately, in 2012, his father had a stroke. Lars is an only child, so he would make the long trip to see them as often as he could. He just wanted to help care for his father and help his mother Sandra around the house. Aside from this, Lars seemed quite happy. He enjoyed his job, he had a great group of friends that he'd grown up with, and he was in a steady relationship with his girlfriend. Before he went missing, his mother came to visit Lars, and he showed her all around the city expressing interest in purchasing a home and settling down. But in 2014, Lars was only 28, and he still liked to go out and have a good time when he could. So he and five friends, many of which he grew up with, planned a little vacation that summer. They decided to travel to a resort town in Varna, Bulgaria named Golden Sands. This area of Varna has been likened to the infamous celebrity vacation spot Ibiza only it was not an island and it was much more affordable. It's basically a huge party town on the Black Sea coast in Bulgaria. This area of Golden Sands has a ton of different hotels in the area. Lars and his friends decided on the Hotel Viva, also known as the Viva Club Hotel. I looked at resorts in the area and they all seem about the same. Mid-range, desirable hotels on the beach, popular with tourists. I couldn't find anything special or abnormal about the Hotel Viva, so why they picked this hotel over the others isn't exactly clear. But they booked the trip and flew a few hours from Germany to Varna, Bulgaria. The group arrived on Monday, June 30th, 2014. They do exactly what you'd expect in a beach resort town. They go to a lot of bars and spend a lot of time on the beach. Paul Roman, one of Lars's friends who was on the trip as well, has said, quote, We relaxed on the beach, swam in the pool, played football, went clubbing. He was relaxed. He was in a good mood. End quote. Now, another friend pointed out something that has been used as a speaking point in many of the wilder theories about this case. When asked if Lars was displaying any odd behavior, Tim Schultz told German media, quote, I noticed he didn't eat much. He'd have a bowl of soup or a small plate of salad, and that was it. End quote. Many people have pointed to this quote, saying it was an indication that something was wrong with Lars on the trip. 
but to me, it seems like a mundane observation that has been taken out of context. Others who knew Lars have openly spoken about how health-conscious Lars was. He just didn't like a lot of junk food or fried food, which is pretty popular in a lot of the bars and clubs they were going to. One fruit vendor in the area remembered Lars coming to the stand every single day. He would pick up something healthy to eat, they'd chat, nothing serious. He said he seemed like a normal, nice tourist. It also sounds like there was a lot of drinking going on in this trip. So maybe Lars was just trying to balance out what he was putting into his body. Others have theorized that it was just really hot and that probably curbed his appetite. Either way, I don't think that there's anything serious here that could point to any larger issues with Lars. And from what I could find, neither does his mother, Sandra. Really, everything in this trip seemed to be going just fine until a few days later, on the night of June 3rd, 2014. Lars and his friends go into a bar in the area. No one is quite sure of the name. But they remember the football game started at 11pm. It was the quarterfinals between Costa Rica and the Netherlands. At some point, Lars begins exchanging flags with some other patrons in the bar. Everything was in good fun until a group of men got upset. This group has been mostly described as just a bunch of guys who just graduated from high school. They got upset about what Lars was doing, and there was an argument. It never got physical, but the group reportedly told Lars something to the effect of, it isn't hard to pay someone to beat someone up. Despite this threat, the night went on like normal. In fact, Lars and his friends were the last group to leave the bar around 4am, now the morning of Friday, July 4th. Their hotel was just over a kilometer away, or about half a mile away from this bar. Some of Lars's friends wanted to stop at McDonald's to grab some food before going back to the hotel, but Lars wasn't a fan of McDonald's, and again, he was very health conscious. So he tells them he's just going to head back to the hotel alone. But on his way back, Lars gets attacked by four men that he believed were either Bulgarian or Russian. Lars doesn't get seriously injured, but he does take a pretty hard blow to his ear that ruptured his eardrum. After this, it appears Lars just goes back to the hotel to try to sleep it off. He would later state that he believed the men were likely hired by the high school graduates at the bar due to their statement. The next day, July 5th, Lars calls his girlfriend. He tells her about the trip and the fight, and she tells him to go to the doctor. But Lars insists that he's fine, and he pretty much just keeps partying that weekend. On Monday, July 7th, the group is scheduled to fly home. That morning, Lars's ear still hurts, and he's afraid that flying might damage his ear further. So, Lars goes to a local doctor. The doctor tells him that yes, his eardrum is ruptured and he cannot fly home that day. He refers Lars to the St. Anna Hospital for further examination. But instead of going to the hospital, Lars goes back to the hotel to tell his friends that he can't fly home with them that night. His friends insist that someone can stay behind with him until he's cleared to fly. But Lars says it's totally fine. He explains that incidents like this is exactly why he purchased travel insurance. And he will contact them to make sure he gets home. So Lars basically waits with his friends until they need to go to the airport. Around 8pm, the shuttle to the airport picks up his friends, and Lars takes a taxi to the St. Anna Hospital. At 8.40pm, Lars is seen by an ears, nose, and throat doctor. But something happens. 
Lars would later tell his mother that during the visit, the doctor seemed to be mocking him and refused to speak to him in English. So Lars gets a prescription for an antibiotic, pays about 60 euros for the visit, and leaves. From here, the same cab driver was still waiting outside and takes Lars to a pharmacy. But they couldn't fully complete the prescription. So the same cab takes him to a second pharmacy where the prescription is filled. This is shortly after 10 p.m. When Lars finally gets his medicine, he asks the taxi driver to take him to a cheap hotel. But the driver tells him that because it's summer, their busy season, most of the hotels will be fully booked. So he suggests the Hotel Color, a hotel located in a less exciting, more rundown area. But it was close to the airport, so Lars agrees. According to some reports, the taxi driver has stated that before going to the Hotel Color, Lars initially planned on stopping at a store next to the hotel to buy some water. But after seeing some scary-looking guys at the store, he decided to just go straight to the hotel. The driver says that after leaving the taxi, Lars pays him and gives him a very generous tip. When Lars checks into the hotel, he says that his bank card is copied. This would later really freak him out. Now, this is something I really tried to find more detail on, because I worked in retail. There actually are some valid reasons for copying someone's card mostly to process sales while the point-of-sale system is down or to keep a card on file for recurring charges. Basically, it's not only just to have the card number, but to prove that you did physically see the card. You typically put the card into this little machine that has paper underneath that creates a bunch of carbon copies. You slide a little piece of plastic over it and you have an imprint of the card. The thing was, I couldn't find out why the card was copied or how it was copied so I can't tell you if there was a legitimate reason for the person behind the desk to do this. I can tell you that even when I explained how and why I had to make a copy of someone's bank card, it was pretty common for them to be suspicious and just not like it. And I was the manager in a high-end area in a high-end establishment. Lars was in a foreign country, in a pretty sketchy hotel in a sketchy area. So this freaked him out, and I totally understand why. I can't say I have all the answers for Lars's behavior, but I think being paranoid about this is a fair reaction. Either way, after he checks in, Lars goes to his room and then down to the hotel bar to get some water for his medication. At 11pm, Lars calls his mother Sandra. Now, it's important to note here that Lars only had a burner phone with him. According to his mother, he really wanted to enjoy this trip to the fullest. So he left his smartphone at home and opted for a little burner phone that wouldn't be so distracting. The problem was, he was almost out of credits for the phone. So in this first call to his mom, he asks if she can put some money on the phone, and she agrees. After this, he made many phone calls to his mother. He explains the fight he was in, the injury to his ear, the terrible encounter with the doctor and he asks her to call his travel insurance agency to see if they can help get him home. They hang up, Sandra calls back, and confirms that she submitted a claim. At this point, Lars is becoming panicked and begins acting strange. He tells his mom about the hotel and how his bank card was copied at the front desk. He tells her that he cannot stay in this hotel. He then asks Sandra to call his bank to see if they can just put a hold on the card. 
but the bank tells Sandra they can't really do that, but they can cancel the card. She calls Lars, Lars says yes, please just cancel the card, and he insists that he has enough cash to make it until he can get home. Obviously, Sandra is getting really concerned at this point, and she just books Lars a bus ride home for 11.30pm the next night. She tells Lars that just in case he can't fly tomorrow, he would at least have some type of transportation home. She then tells Lars to relax, get some sleep, and heal up. They end the call, but Lars calls back not long after. He insisted again that there was something wrong with the hotel. He felt like his room might be bugged, and he was being watched. Now, before your mind starts going in that direction... A private investigator later hired by Sandra to look for Lars stayed at the hotel keller to get a better understanding of why Lars felt this way. This PI says that he stayed in a lot of sketchy hotels, but he wouldn't dare sleep at the hotel keller. He added that he could hear conversations from the bar on the first floor all the way up on the third floor. So he imagines Lars was likely overhearing conversations throughout the hotel realized people likely heard his conversation about the card being copied, and just got paranoid. At the end of this particular call, Lars tells Sandra, quote, I have to get out of here, end quote. Throughout the night, Lars paces in the common areas of the hotel and leaves the hotel in the middle of the night. At 2.30 a.m. on now Tuesday, July 8th, Lars calls his mother again. He says he's left the hotel, and he was being followed by four men. He was speaking very softly and told his mother he was, quote, high up and could fall down, end quote. Not long after, the call ends. Now, the PI would step in again with another reasonable explanation, that Lars was an obvious tourist in a bad area and likely was being targeted for a robbery. But that is just a theory. Again, I don't have an explanation for everything, and there are some genuine mysteries in this case. It's possible that four men were following him. Maybe they were even the same four men that beat him up a few days before. We just don't know. At 3.06am, Lars texts his mother to ask about the antibiotic he was prescribed, writing, quote, Cefzil 500, what is this? End quote. At 3.15 a.m., he sends an identical text to his mother again. But Sandra believed Lars was in hiding and could be in danger, so she didn't call. She just booked him a plane ticket for 4.20 p.m. that afternoon. He would be in Hamburg by 9.45 p.m. Now Lars had two different ways to get back home. Sandra didn't know exactly what was going on, but she knew her son was not acting like himself, and she wanted him home. Sandra would later tell the German media, quote, I thought, God, my son is in danger. I could hear his heart pounding over the phone. He said people were trying to rob him or kill him, end quote. Around sunrise, Lars is seen frantically waving down a taxi. Despite this driver already having a woman in the car, he stops to pick up Lars as well. Both the driver and this woman would report that Lars's pupils appeared to have been dilated. Lars arrives at the Varna airport at 5 a.m. I haven't been able to find out a concrete answer as to why Lars was at the airport almost 12 hours before his flight, but considering he obviously didn't feel safe at the Hotel Color, 
I think it's reasonable to assume he probably just felt safer at the airport and definitely wanted to get home as soon as possible. Lars calls his mom again, but by this time, the battery on his burner phone was almost dead. I honestly have no idea if he just didn't have a charger or what the deal was. But Lars and his mother keep it short, just speaking necessary information to each other. This time, Lars was asking Sandra to wire him money via Western Union. This part is important. Lars had never used Western Union before. He didn't even know what it was until he had a conversation with a mystery man at the airport who told him about it. Lars also never told Sandra how much he needed, just that he needed money. If you've never sent money through Western Union before, the first time can be pretty confusing and a little scary. One mistake and that money can just be gone. But Sandra recalls that Lars was very coherent when he was explaining this system to her. For Sandra, this and other factors I'm going to get into in a moment lead her to believe that Lars was likely in his right mind. A little scared, maybe, but he was coherently able to explain this program to her without any issue. After this, Sandra gives him details for the bus and flight she booked for him. She then tells Lars he needs to go see the doctor at the airport before flying. But then, Lars tells her that he's already been told he can't fly or drive. Lars did elaborate a little and said that he looked dirty from hiding from the men earlier in the morning. So, Sandra tells Lars to go to the restroom, wash his face, freshen up a bit, and then go see the doctor. They hang up. Sandra sends Lars 500 euros from Western Union. Sandra was later asked why she sent 500 euros and she said she just picked an amount she felt would help him. She didn't really know how much to send. When Sandra calls to tell Lars that the transfer had been completed, the line picks up, but she just hears murmurs. So she assumes Lars accidentally answered the phone while he was in the restroom. She tries again later, but Lars never answers his phone again. However, Sandra, her lawyer, and her PI were able to track some of Lars's movements after she lost communication with him. At 9 a.m., Lars does see a doctor at the airport, Dr. Kostov. The exam lasts 42 minutes. The doctor says Lars is fine to fly. He just needs to sign a waiver to do so. He gives Lars some eardrops and attempts to give him more medication, but Lars refuses stating he had an adverse reaction to the antibiotic he was currently on. Now, here's where things get really dicey. The problem is, this doctor has changed his story several times. And unfortunately, we just don't have the video to prove or disprove any of these stories. So I'm just going to run through each one. Story 1. Before Lars could sign the waiver, he needed to use the restroom. Lars leaves the doctor's office and, moments later, is seen running out of the airport. Story 2. Before Lars could sign the waiver, a man in an airport uniform enters the examination room, specifically looking for Lars. Lars freaks out and runs out of the airport. Story 3. Before Lars could sign the waiver, a man who was working on the airport but didn't directly work for the airport walked into the examination room. Lars freaks out and runs out of the airport. Story 4. Before Lars could sign the waiver, an unknown man walked into the examination room. 
Lars freaks out and runs out of the airport. In the end, we don't know what happened in that doctor's office. We don't know if Lars went to the restroom and then left the airport, or if someone really did come into the examination room and scared Lars. Here's what we do know. Lars does leave the airport. At first, it looks like he is basically running for his life. He is running fast. And the thing is, Lars leaves almost everything behind, except his wallet with his ID and passport. Only about a minute of the surveillance footage was eventually released to the public. I definitely encourage you to view it for yourself, but I will describe what I see in the video. Lars is first seen walking calmly through the airport with both his backpack and his duffel bag. Then we see another angle. Same thing. Lars appears to be calm and has both bags. But now he appears to be holding food in his left hand. He does appear to be kind of looking around, but it is an airport. Then we see it. It cuts again, and Lars is running fast towards the entrance of the airport. He does not have his backpack or his duffel bag. When he gets outside, his pace slows a bit, and you can see him pat the back of his shorts, as if he was checking to make sure he had his wallet. Then it cuts to another angle, and Lars is running again, but then slows down to more of a walking pace. Then it cuts again, and Lars is really tiny in the frame so it's hard to see definitively what he was doing. But it looks like he was running again. Then, the video ends. It is important to note that during this video, it doesn't appear that anyone is following him. Now, witnesses have stated that from here, Lars jumps over a 2.5 meter or 8 foot barbed wire fence into a field along a highway, and he disappears into the woods behind the field. But at this time, Sandra doesn't know any of this. At 11 a.m., she calls the airport, but because of the language barrier, she says no one could understand her, and no one really seemed interested in helping her. So she calls the consulate. At 12 p.m., she receives a call back. They say Lars was seen by the doctor. He seemed normal, but a little restless. He asked the doctor to go to the restroom and never came back, not even for his bags. The following day, Sandra files a missing person report for Lars in Germany. On July 10th, one of Lars's colleagues at the power plant just so happened to be in the area, so Sandra asked him to stop by the airport to see if he could gather any other information, but he wasn't able to find anything. On July 17th, Sandra hires a private investigator and a Bulgarian lawyer to help find Lars. Then, on July 24th, Sandra decides enough is enough, and she travels to Varna herself. On the 27th, Sandra, her PI, and her lawyer go to the Varna airport, and they're shown video footage of Lars that has never been released to the public. Sandra says the footage shows Lars running out of the airport, checking his pockets for his wallet, and reorienting himself, just like I talked about. But then, she sees Lars look in three different directions. In one direction is where he came from at the Hotel Color. In the other direction are two police cars. And in the third direction is the fence and field we know he disappears into. Sandra says she thinks Lars was acting quite strategically in the video. 
He heads towards the field, but is careful to not be seen by police. He hides behind a sign, a bus, and even a large pile of sand. Then she sees him climb the fence and fade out of view. When Sandra asked for footage of Lars arriving to the airport, she was told it was not available. It's also important to note that the video Sandra, her lawyer, and her PI saw that day was never given to police. They received that video that has since been made public. Videos of Lars arriving at the airport, getting food at the airport, and using the restroom to clean up have never been made available to anyone. While Sandra is at the airport, they return Lars's bags to her. Why they weren't taken by authorities, I will never understand. But that's how she's able to confirm that his wallet and passport were likely still in his pocket. Everything else does appear to have been left behind, including his cell phone. Now, with the bags, Sandra also got a list of items that were supposedly in the bags. At this time, Sandra files a missing person report for Lars in Bulgaria, in addition to the report she already made in Germany. Later that night, Sandra goes through Lars's bags, and what he left behind does give us some clues. She was able to piece together much of the timeline I presented today, because Lars was always meticulous about keeping his receipts, and this trip was no different. She told Insolito, quote, In the evening at the hotel, I checked the bag, and find out that Lars was, as always, very tidy. He picked up all the receipts from the hotel, the pharmacy, etc. On the basis of the receipts which I have sorted chronologically, I can follow the exact time of his vacation. The only thing missing was the Cefzil. End quote. The list she was provided said that there should have been 17 pills in the bag, two blister packs of 10 pills each, with three removed from one. Like Sandra said, the medication was gone. The next day, Sandra and her lawyer go back to the airport to ask about the pills. The man who had originally given her the list of items in the bag brought another list, this time without the medication listed. Sandra stated, quote, I was appalled, the lawyer as well, who said that he would testify that the tablets were listed the day before. Shortly after that, it became horribly loud. I shouted loudly that they should stop, and that I was no longer interested in these tablets. I just wanted to get out. The situation felt very uncomfortable and dicey. I just wanted to get out. I thought to myself, there's something wrong here. There's a lot of drama going on here. End quote. It is important to note that the pills were eventually located. Apparently, they were left in the bag and confiscated by the Varna police. Not long after, Sandra fired that lawyer. She said that he began acting strangely, and told her she needs to stop looking for Lars. Many searches of the area were conducted for Lars Matank. At one point, they had over a hundred people on the ground looking for him. They used drones, cameras with thermal imaging, cadaver dogs, and another dog who was able to track Lars' ascent for a short distance. But it lost the trail. Private investigators hired by Sandra have also exhausted all avenues. They worked day and night looking for Lars. They used Sandra and recordings of Sandra's voice, hoping they could coax Lars out of the wooded area surrounding the airport if he was hiding. 
They hung posters of Lars all over Bulgaria, but they were often stopped by police, citing concerns of litter. They checked hospitals, they checked jails, they spoke with local news stations, radio stations, and newspapers. They even ran ads with the taxi companies with information about Lars. Like I mentioned earlier, the PIs even went to the Hotel Color, stayed the night, and they walked the paths they thought Lars might have taken. They even tracked down the mystery man who supposedly interrupted Lars's doctor's appointment. Or so they thought. The airport presented a man they say was the mystery man, but it turns out the guy wasn't even in the country at the time. Rainier, the PI on the case as of 2020, has stated that the German authorities are quite helpful, but the Bulgarian authorities just don't seem to care. I say this a lot in this show, but more than ever, we are left with a lot of questions in this case. And although I'm not one to theorize, I do think we need to go over the most popular theories for what might have happened to Lars. The first theory I want to discuss is that Lars might have had an undiagnosed concussion. Now, I'm not a medical expert. And to make matters more complicated, I found conflicting opinions from doctors about this. Some say, yeah, it's possible he had a concussion and he was hallucinating. Others say, no, while he could have had a concussion, it would take days and often multiple blows to the head to see something like hallucinations come from a concussion. It's important to remember here that the woman in the taxi with Lars and the driver both said Lars's pupils were dilated, which can be a sign that he had a concussion. It could also be a sign he was on drugs, though it is worth noting that he didn't have a history of using drugs. Now, this might also make sense as to why the doctor who saw Lars at the airport was acting, in my opinion, very odd with all of those stories. Maybe he realized he misdiagnosed Lars and didn't realize how serious it was. So, maybe he was just trying to not get in trouble when Sandra came in with a lawyer and a private investigator by trying to point to something external scaring Lars off. Kind of deterring away from maybe any misdiagnosis. The second theory I want to discuss is that he had a nasty reaction to the antibiotics. I found an article with a quote from the doctor at the airport who says Lars didn't even take his medication. Which is a bonus conflicting story here, since he also said Lars was openly worried about the new medication because of the one he was already on. But I do lean towards the idea that Lars did take the medication because of what Sandra found. And because of those text messages he sent her asking what it was a few hours after he supposedly took them. Some have theorized that Lars had a negative reaction to his medication, possibly causing hallucinations or other odd behavior. Now again, I'm not a doctor, but I looked up the medication. I looked at the prescribed usage and the side effects. And yes, hallucinations are a side effect. But I wanted to read real reviews from other people who have used it, so I went to WebMD. The overall rating of the medication is 2.6 out of 5. When I started going through the negative reviews, I saw a lot of complaints about rashes, and some people getting nauseous after taking the medication. I didn't see anything about people experiencing hallucinations, but I did find a review I felt might be relevant to Lars's case. A parent posted about their two-year-old's reaction to the medication. Their child experienced side effects within 24 hours. 
a bit longer than Lars had been on the medication. But they report their child experienced some disturbing side effects, including, quote, irritability, crying, screaming, tantrums, restlessness, and waking up at night, end quote. The parents said that their pediatrician tried to dismiss it as the terrible twos, but once they switched medications, all side effects went away. Others have also reported not being able to sleep while taking the medication, and we know that Lars didn't sleep that night. This medication is prescribed more often in Bulgaria than Germany because of its harsh side effects. A lot of doctors have waited on this topic, and the general consensus is that Lars's erratic behavior could be a side effect of the medication, though it would be rare. However, they note that the side effects are more likely when the patient has been drinking, which I do think is likely in Lars's case. The third most common theory is that Lars was somehow involved in drug trafficking or even human trafficking. This theory stems more from his encounter with the four men who beat him up. Some theorize that the reason Lars got away with just the ear injury was because maybe he made some type of deal with them. I'll let you fill in the rest, because it really is all just speculation. I have exactly zero evidence to back this up. I can say that Lars acted normally for the rest of the trip until the night he began calling his mom. The last common theory I want to discuss is the possibility that Lars just had a mental break. When it comes to this theory, I feel like this is honestly a possibility in a lot of cases, just because it is so unpredictable. Now, I've read about statistics of schizophrenia appearing in males around Lars's age, but no matter how much research I do, I can't tell you this is the case. And without being able to examine Lars, I don't think anyone else could tell you that in good faith either. I can tell you that Lars had no documented history of mental illness, nor did anyone else in his family. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means that unlike the case of Elisa Lamb, where there was a documented history of mental illness and similar episodes, I don't have anything to point to that would make me believe that was the case. It's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, that could have happened. As always, I want to talk about what the family thinks. As far as I could find, Sandra is unsure of why her son ran out of the airport that day. She believes he was coherent because of the conversations they had and the video she saw. After seeing the footage, she was actually happy. She told Insolito, quote, I'm not crying even though this is the last time I saw Lars. I am relieved. My feeling tells me that my son knows what he's doing. He's getting himself to safety. End quote. She never really explains why Lars would be trying to avoid the police, though. As far as I could find, he was an upstanding citizen. No contraband was found in his bags, and he had no history of criminal activity. So, why he would be avoiding the police is a mystery. Of course, it's possible Lars did voluntarily or involuntarily get mixed up in illegal activities. Like I mentioned before. If a group of dangerous men were really after Lars, that is important to consider. But I don't think the evidence tells us that. But it does point me towards the idea that Lars was hallucinating. Aside from the fight itself, Lars's behavior didn't become odd until days after the fight, until after he took that medication. 
That's when he began calling his mother. That's when he thought he was being followed. I mean, he just partied for a week straight. He was hit pretty hard in the head. He finds himself alone in a foreign country in a sketchy hotel. And he's nervous because they copied his bank card. He takes this medication, maybe has a drink with it, and it just kind of spirals from there. Again, I don't have an explanation for everything. But like in the case of Elisa Lamb, I do think it's likely the answers are more mundane than sensational. And the bottom line is, in this case, it doesn't really matter if it was a mental break or a side effect of his medication. Lars remains missing, and we need to find him. I do want to note that Sandra believes Lars somehow lost his memory and could be alive out there somewhere, wandering and confused. I think it's possible. And in all missing persons cases, I see no harm in keeping the hope alive, as long as we're still looking. There have been several notable sightings of Lars over the years. Some seemed like close calls, but none turned out to be him. So I see no reason to go into detail about them. So let's jump right into our call to action. Lars Matank is still missing, and his mother is still searching. She and the private investigator she has hired have stated that no matter how large Lars's case seems to be, even if he is the most famous missing person on YouTube, they find people every day who have never heard of the case. So please share Lars's story. Please share his picture and facts of the case as we know them. Lars had and can still have a bright future ahead of him. He might just need a little help. As a reminder, Lars Matank was 28 years old when he went missing from the Varna airport in Bulgaria. Lars is a German male with brown eyes and brown hair that does lighten in the sun. He is 5'9", weighs about 180 pounds with an athletic build. He was last seen wearing jean shorts, a yellow shirt, and tennis shoes. Anyone with information about Lars is urged to contact the family's Facebook page. It is in German with some posts in English, but it can be easily found when searching for Lars Matank on Facebook. I will, of course, have the link in the episode description as well. But as always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney. For more information about the podcast, to suggest a case, to see resources used for this episode, and to find out more about how to help the cases I discuss, visit VoicesForJusticePodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast player. It really does help more people find the podcast and these cases in need of justice.
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.